Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 247 of the podcast. It's March 23rd, 2016. My guest today is James Chisholm. He's a principal and co-founder of the company Experience Point. He is a pioneer in the design of online game-based learning and has authored numerous leadership simulations that have been used by over 100,000 executives and managers worldwide. Now, I fell in love with their Lakeview Hospital Change Management Simulation. Uh, a few years back, it was um, 2010, I think, uh, when I first got to try it. And in, in the past year, I've been very happy um, to have the chance to learn from James and to partner with Experience Point in bringing these change management simulations uh, to my clients and, and other organizations. James speaks and writes widely on the subjects of games, learning, and change. He's co-authored chapters in a couple of different books, and you can find links to those, uh, his bio, uh, the company, everything uh, mentioned here by going to leanblog.org slash 247. So today we're going to talk about uh, why change management is important, the role of simulations and experience-based learning, and how leadership and change are synonymous. So I'd invite you, if you'd like to learn more about these workshops and how I can facilitate them at your organization or event, uh, go to markgraben.com slash experience change to learn more. Thanks. Well, James, hi. Thanks so much for joining us here on the podcast today. Great. Thanks, Mark. It's a, yeah, a really great honor to be here, and thanks for the invite. Well, sure thing. I think we have uh, a lot to talk about. Um, can you start off? It would be good to hear in your own words, you know, tell the listeners uh, about your career and your professional background. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I'm one of the co-founders of Experience Point. It's a company we started in in 96, which means this is our, our 20th year, which is, uh, yeah, quite a nice milestone. Um, and, and really, that uh, 96 was the start of my career as well. Um, prior to Experience Point, I went to business school up here in Canada. I'm based in Toronto. And and I worked for the former dean uh, of the business school there as a researcher, and I was writing business case studies and doing doing a number of things there. I also met my business partner up there, uh, uh, Greg Warman is his name. And um, you know, kind of in hindsight, we both sort of look back at our pasts, and we had very similar pasts. We both grew up in small towns, myself in Ontario, he in BC. We both had fathers who ran businesses, very entrepreneurial. We had moms who were uh, teachers. And in ourselves, we arrived at business school as like computer nerds. We, we grew up in the 80s, playing a lot of video games, uh, Atari 2600s, Commodore 64s, and, and, and we could program. And so that was kind of unique in the early 90s, at least. And not, not so much today. I think everybody can, can kind of program coming into university. But um, it was a nice mix. And, and it's what we, we coming out of school, I was writing cases, and we saw an opportunity to kind of merge the traditional case study approach to learning with elements of gaming. And, and today, you know, it's, it's a bit of a no-brainer. You see gaming all over the place, and it's, you hear this, this new word gamification and all that stuff. In, in those days, it was a tough sell. And it, I remember there is a, uh, one of the big consulting firms based here in Toronto. Well, they had an office here in Toronto. They're based in Boston. Um, I, I won't mention their name. Just to, and, and I walk by their office every once in a while, and I, I kind of chuckle. I remember going in, and I would have been in my you know mid twenties at the time, taking in a huge projector and a CD-ROM-based game that we created. In fact, it was a change management simulation, a precursor of some of the work that we do today. 
And, and they just simply said, you know, this is very interesting, but executives don't play games. And, and so gaming, if you recall, it, it really wasn't culturally acceptable until the early 2000s. And so, um, yeah, that was, that was an interesting kind of challenge that we had. Today, the way that we look at it is that it's just good old-fashioned learning by doing that we create. And, and technically, yes, it's a simulation, but no, we give people an opportunity to practice leadership in a safe space. Yeah. Well, I think we're, we're of that same generation where I grew up with uh, Apple II computers and right, the, right. Texas Instruments computer. And uh, I don't know how many listeners uh, remember the classic game Oregon Trail, which I guess yeah. in a way was a simulation, right? Totally. Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, but now, you know, as we move into, um, into workplace simulations, um, yeah, you're right. I think that's, that's still more unique. You know, when I was at, in, in my time in business school at MIT in the late 90s, uh, in the system dynamics course, they used uh, a simulation based on People's Express Airlines, which yes. um, was one of the, or that was the first, I think, business simulation um, that I was exposed to. And some of our listeners may may be familiar with, um, with, with that company. And, you know, the simulation was meant to teach business students or at least give them a chance of, you know, I think one of the lessons was if the company grows too quickly, you can run out of cash, no matter how successful you are uh, in terms of attracting customers. But, you know, that, that solidified for me, at least, that, yeah, this, this is an effective way uh, to learn by computers. Maybe I was biased from it because I was always using computers. Yeah, it, well, it, it's similar for us. I think we came into to business school. And in fact, my, my, um, the dean that I worked for was a former MIT grad and introduced me to the work of, uh, of Jay Forrester and others and People's Express as well. Like, that was something that came across. He said, oh, check this out. This is really interesting. So it was, it was um, a bit of uh, a stimulus, I think, for, for us when we're thinking about our, our, um, our venture. Um, Interesting, like the, the games that we played in business school, they were still the same punch card based simulations that would have been created in the late 60s, early 70s. Mm. And so the real opportunity that we saw was putting was, was helping to immerse people into the experience, bring them in using the simulation as a mechanism to, to involve them more deeply. So, I mean, I'd be curious to hear more of uh, the story of starting the company that you had this idea of doing change management simulations and. I was wondering if you could tell you know, just a little bit more of, sure. sort of the origins and how you got started story. If it was a tough sure. sell, that's an interesting challenge, <clears throat> right? It was. And, and our, our business startup story is um, pretty – come back to the word old-fashioned. It was uh, Greg and myself. Um, we, the term used today often is bootstrapped, and we did that, and we kind of grew the business one customer at a time. And, uh, and that's helped to inform the values that we have as a business today very much. It, it certainly wasn't easy, the journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we, over the years, we, we designed over two dozen, authored two dozen different kinds of simulations. Uh, we earned our chops that way. Um, and uh, from sales simulations to negotiations to pharmacists to... To, and then we had our core change offering. And then and recently, about seven or about six or seven years ago, we partnered up with IDEO, the design firm. Mm-hmm. And we created a, a design thinking workshop experience that's been hugely successful. And so what we ended up doing is from a custom business, uh, a service business, essentially creating custom simulations, we've very much focused in the last 10 years on being the very best in the world at creating opportunities for people to practice change 
into practice innovation. And that's kind of exclusively what we do. We, we, we've had to learn to say no, which is hard to say when there's so many interesting mm. projects out there. But uh, yeah, that, that's our mission is to be, to be the best there. And, and last year, uh, you know, I'm very thrilled to share that we, we touched over 50,000 people through um, our simulations. And these are folks who've had the workshop experience. So that was a nice milestone as well. Yeah, that's great. And uh, congratulations on 20 years and on those oh, numbers. You. And uh, it's being used all around the world, which was, was something interesting for me to learn about how much this has spread. Yes. Yeah, we're, um, we're a Canadian company, but we do 5% of our work in Canada, maybe less. And most of it's in the U.S., of course, sort of the biggest market in the world. But we've got our products are in English, Spanish, Mandarin, French. And um, again, lots of work going on in Europe, Middle East, Africa, Australia, and, and of course, uh, in Asia as well. Yeah, that's very cool. And um, you know, I think we're going to you know, delve a little bit deeper into the idea of change management and the experience change simulation. But let, let, you, you mentioned design thinking in, in IDEO. That might be worth um, mm -hmm. talking about for a couple of minutes. I, I know maybe just enough about design thinking to be dangerous, but to me, there are great parallels in the IDEO approach um, to lean thinking or lean product development of, you know, really understanding your customer, um, really understanding the problems they're trying to solve and, and, and coming through, um, and correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, please, but, you know, sort of iterative ways of developing and testing products or services as opposed to, you know, sitting off in uh, stealth mode or I'm going to develop a, a, you know, a perfect offering and then find customers that that yeah. design thinking arms people with some uh, more structured ways of being innovative. Um, that, yes. Yeah. That, what, what, um, can, can you either correct oh, me or elaborate no, on no, some no, of that? Um, absolutely. Yeah. There, there's so many parallels there. And I think a common parallel and probably the most important parallel and one that we all learn in business at some stage, hopefully er earlier than later, is that um, the market is the ultimate de determinant of success. And, and so seeking that product, the market product fit or market service fit mm -hmm. um, is, is so crucial. And, and the more opportunities we have earlier in the process to test our hypothesis around what we think might be a good solution usually the better off that solution is along the way. I think one of the, one of the key ways that they may differ is that um, often lean and, um, and methodologies like that are, are, are brought in to um, uh, seek to optimize what exists today and to improve on what exists today, um, where design thinking intentionally says, um, let's try to find a different space that we can create and then what we create then lean is a fantastic methodology for making that even better. And so, yeah, so th th that would be the one, probably the big distinction, but many mm -hmm. of the methods that are used are similar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, especially the idea of going and observing, we, we certainly use that a lot in, um, in health, not just healthcare settings where I've been working, but other settings where, you know, to, to really go and observe and, um, and study, the, the work that's being done as a way for continuous improvement, that's, um, yeah, I think a big similarity instead of going and observing uh, your, your customers. So the, um, maybe in a nutshell, can you describe the, the design thinker uh, simulation and, and workshop? And, you know, for people who are interested in innovation as a topic, um, can you just, you know, kind of tell folks about that a little bit? Yeah, it's, um, 
when I, I'm reflecting back on our conversations so far, and I kind of describe simulations and games. And often when we think about simulations and games, we think about an individual playing something by themselves. And um, the design thinker or the experience innovation um, simulation is uh, like like the change sim and others. It's a team-based activity. So we're working in a team. Uh, we're working on a, a real uh, project. In fact, it was a project that IDEO had worked on a number of years ago, disguised a little bit, but working through that process, what a typical project team might go through in four months, we simulate that over four hours. Mm -hmm. So giving folks an opportunity to, to look at um, where do great ideas come from in terms of inspiration, um, ideation, coming up with great ideas, and then implementation. And then implementation here is defined more on, more in terms of how do we test some hypotheses? How do we get into experimentation? How do we learn and rapid prototype? And so those are those, which are really big areas. We allow people to taste that over four hours, mm -hmm. and it's it's, you know, the feedback that we get is it's amazing. You know, it changes the way people see things. Yeah. So that's um, yeah, experience innovation, and then the workshop that uh, that I first got exposed to in simulation um, that. That I first saw, I think back in early 2010, um, but but now you know that that I'm facilitating is called Experience Change. Um, very, I, I'm glad you brought up the point about working in teams because one thing I've I've been trying to communicate with people is that you know this computer simulation based learning is not a room full of silent people in a computer lab all in front of an individual computer. That the the human interaction within the team tackling this case study. Um, developing their plan for change and testing it in the simulation. It's very engaging as, uh, as a group activity. That's, that's one thing I really like about the design of these uh, approaches. But, um, you know, to, to delve a little deeper into the experience change simulation and, and workshop, I, I'm curious, you know, you, you mentioned earlier that you developed a change management simulation back in 1996, and I'm curious if you can talk a little bit about the background of, of your education or discovery. You know, how, how did this come uh, to be such an important topic for you? Yeah, it is, it is, um, it is probably the area that I'm most passionate about. Uh, I love innovation as well, but I think change is, um, change is uh, it's foundational, I think, when you think about the core elements of effective change today, being human-centered, and that's shared with design thinking as well, and and with lean as well, um, it's commitment-based, uh, very much having a learning orientation. These are the building blocks of a, a healthy modern organization. And, and so, when we we think of change, I see, and and we talk about it this way that 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 change is synonymous with leadership. Mm -hmm. And and so people, you know, there are folks out there. There's there's managing change and leading change. Yeah, you know, we're not not so caught up on the semantics of it all. It's you're thinking about the the definition of leadership. Leadership is a a process. It's not a person. It's a process by which we influence and motivate one or more people to move in a new direction. We're we're, we're influencing and motivate them to go somewhere different or to do something different than they've done before. And and so. In that, and so that's the definition of leadership, in that is a change. And so in the absence of change, there's no need for leadership. If nothing's changing in your work, if you're in a system that's just operating, you just need to manage the process. And so the, the two are just uh, inextricably linked. And, 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 and so I have a real passion for, for change and for leadership and, and kind of at a historical level, recognizing that the way we've done things in the past 
from a leadership point of view, needs to change in the future if we want to create healthy organizations. Yeah, I, I think that's that's brilliantly said. Change is synonymous with leadership because, um, you know, I think just looking at that a little bit more deeply, we hear often, you know, complaints about resistance to change. Um, people are being, quote unquote, resistant to lean, whether that's that's mm -hmm. doctors or engineers or nurses or middle managers. They're being resistant to lean. And re that resistance um, is, I think, often taken care of through leadership and that process of of communication you know two-way communication not just yes. not just selling but but listening and really engaging people and you know that, that's one reason I, I really was sort of drawn back um, to the experience change workshop as something that would be helpful for for people to understand it's not enough to just have the right solution that they need to engage people so that they can understand it and choose to buy into it yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think about like hospitals as an example. These are, uh, and I've got some personal experience in hospitals, and I've and certainly I've, I've facilitated and worked with a number of hospitals over the years. But you know, these are uh, cultures of um, often in the past have been cultures of compliance, mm -hmm. resistance to change. As you said, it's not the root cause. There's something else there. And how do we break down those cultures of compliance? How do we create cultures of commitment? We're hearing that as as a root um, uh, cultural change to to address and kind of dialing that back a little bit, kind of unpacking it in, in, in hospitals fit in this, but a lot of other organizations fit here too. Thinking about, you know, we hear so much about the world is changing, the massive leaps and massive rates of change going on. And over the last 50 years, we've seen this incredible shift from, from organizations paying people for their paying people for their backs, for mm -hmm. their physical label, labor to, to, to paying them for their brains. And it's that shift in a knowledge economy. And that's historical. I can't really think of a time in history when that's ever happened before. Mm. And so in, in like pre-50 years ago, or, or 50 years ago and, and earlier, you know, jobs are pretty well defined, often for life. And we organize work with formal hierarchies. If you had a question, you know, the bosses had the answer. They were expected to have the answer. And we rewarded uh, like domain knowledge and, and skills and expertise. And, and, and as, as employees in that, in that system, we did what we were told, right? And so where hierarchy mattered and authority mattered, a culture of compliance surfaces. And so you think about those organizations, and many of them are turning to us right now because whether it's the organization itself or the, the pocket in the organization, they're not very adaptive. They have a lot of trouble changing. They're, they're process-based, highly systematized, and, and some of them are at, at, at risk of being disrupted. And so, yeah, that culture of compliance is a big piece. And, and that's, you know, you're thinking about how do we influence and motivate people today, it's certainly not by telling them what to do. That, that doesn't really work anymore. Yeah, and, and, and hospitals are held back by that command and control management as much as, as any industry. And like you, like you were saying, James, you know, I think you know, people in all sorts of different settings are coming around. Um, from the U.S. military, retired General Stanley McChrystal has a, a book out called Team of Teams. And he talks about, you know, even in the military, which seems like the prototypical uh, command and control environment, that they realize that in more modern times, you can't just rely on uh, soldiers or 
lower level officers to merely follow orders that you need to teach them to be adaptive and you know creating uh, different types of communication structures and different expectations for people so that they don't get mired and slowed down by uh, a culture of compliance or i think there's the um, the related uh, notion the culture of fear that you have in organizations people are afraid to speak up they're afraid to try new things and you know, I'm sure you would agree that when when that's the case, we're we're not going to have much of change. We're not going to have much change. We're not going to have much progress, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I've had uh, the great pleasure of um, of teaching at the Naval Postgraduate School in mm-hmm. Monterey, and it's with very senior folks. And um, I always share that uh, I've never been in a in a room with more integrity. Like it's just an amazing amazing people and teaching change. And, and, and as they played it back to me, I said, you know, you're in a really hierarchical organization and said, you know, hierarchy works really well at the sharp end of the spear. When, when, when you have to do, you know, if you're in a, an emergency room and things are going really fast, or if you're on the, the battlefield, things are moving really quick, you've got to make decisions very fast and everybody's got to be, um, got to be together. But they, they talked about the 99% of the military that wasn't at the sharp end and it's a business, and we've got to we've got to motivate folks. Um, and intrinsic motivation is a much more uh, powerful way to get commitment. It's another lever. So intrinsic and extrinsic, and you know the classic sticks and carrots. Um, we're we're now looking at what Dan Pink talks about: mastery, autonomy, and purpose as really right. important pieces as well. And then the other piece there is around kind of the complexity of the world today. Move world's moving really fast. Leaders don't have answers, and so the role of the leader is not to come up with the answer, but to bring the process to bear so that others can create that solution. And, and really, that's what I think change is all about, and that's why it's important today. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, in, in a fast-paced, highly competitive world, when there's lots of external factors and forces being thrown at healthcare organizations, not just in the U.S., but there's different forces and pressures uh, in the different provinces of Canada, it, it seems like the only way to really cope with all of that, yet alone thrive, is to have more people improving, more people innovating, more people contributing and having their voices heard. And, and it seems like those are common themes amongst um, the different topics Experience Point is involved in between experience innovation and experience change, getting getting more people involved and, and helping them become comfortable with this idea. So I, I guess my next question for you is, you know, these ideas of innovation or change, I mean, I guess the, these are principles that can be learned and practiced, right? Yes, yes, yeah, that's right. And um, it, it, and they're, they're informed by mindsets and ways of looking at the world. And... Um, you know, thinking about uh, thinking about like you know, there are processes, there are methods, there are um, uh, techniques and tools that people can use to to be more effective as a leader of change or to participate on a team um, uh, that that leading change or to try to innovate as well. Um, a lot of those behaviors are, are common, and, and, and a lot of the, like things like subjugating ego and um, you know things that are that are difficult for us to sometimes do, um, but important uh, in in service of the broader purpose of the organization. So we give people an opportunity to feel that and to stretch themselves as they um, they do things like that, and or as they get better at listening, what's going on. It's it's often in the process. 
sometimes we talk about the what to do and the how to be. It's in the how to be where a lot of the failure takes place, to be honest. <laughs> and certainly we do identify the what to do, you know, like the, you know, sometimes we'll look at change failure and say, oh, you don't have a lack of sponsorship or bad alignment, or maybe it was the bad decision to begin with, the bad solution. Um, sometimes a classic one is where, where folks will take a solution, they'll They'll come up with it. And the worst is if the leader does it in their office and then comes down and says, oh, here's what we're going to do mm. because no, nobody participated in that process. And, and so it's an uphill battle from there. But if, if the people who are coming up with the solution have to throw it over the wall to somebody else to implement it, which is a classic thing in organization, that's a really – you're kind of stacking the odds against success there. Mm-hmm. And so there are lots of, lots of ways to fail. And we do, we do talk about this um, from a, a practices perspective. But you think about like an organization and you, it sounds really complex, but you know, it really isn't. You know, organizations are nothing but groups of individuals. And, and the diagnostic that's really powerful on the change side is, is asking the question, are we ready, willing, and able to do this? Were the people, I mean, if you're looking at a failure afterwards or if you're looking at success beforehand, were the people ready to engage? Were they uh, willing to commit? And, and were, they, were they or are they able to do what it takes to realize the full potential of that initiative or of that solution? And so I think that that's, that's a nice diagnostic. If you're looking for a really simple way of thinking about change success, it's are we ready, are we willing, and are we able? Mm. And I think a lot of – and if the answers to those questions are no, we're not ready, we're not willing, we're not able, I think moder- you know, effective leaders – don't blame people, individuals, for not being ready, willing, or able. We try to figure out, okay, how do we help them get there? Um, a lot right. of quote-unquote resistance to change is really kind of just born out of um, anxiety, which often comes from a lack of information. And, and then, well, that's, that's something that is uh, addressable. Um, I think, you know, considering communication to be an important part of leadership. Um, you know, I think one, one thing I see happening out there is that leaders are too quick to blame individuals for not buying in instead of trying to figure out what do we need to do. And I think the simulation and the whole experience change workshop helps bring that to light, the need to um, actively try to build that instead of just complain that that buy-in's not there. I'm curious to hear more of your thoughts on that. Yes, it's um, it, it, the simulation is a mechanism for a conversation for folks to, to talk about it. And what, what it does a nice job of is reveals some of the cultural biases within an organization. So if, if there is um, a tendency to jump to action, that will get revealed and kind of put a mirror up. Mm-hmm. And folks can re- reflect on that and have a conversation about why that takes place. What are some of the barriers to us doing it properly? And, and those become some things that we can address. Um, often we're hearing things like, um, yeah, when we talk about readiness, it's about uh, fundamentally about capacity to change. Willingness is about a commitment to change and, and ability is about the capability to change. So the training side of it, willingness, the, the commitment is, um, is about buy-in. And then the, the, the big one that's a hot topic we hear out there a lot is, is around capacity. And, and somebody who is not ready to change, they'll say something like, you know what, I, I get it, you know, I, I, I want to do it, I know how to do it, but just not right now. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and often organizations will blame those folks and just kind of jam, jam the change down the down yeah. the boats. And, and, and we, you know, capacity is such an issue these days. It's, um, and it's a responsibility that everybody holds. 
Yeah, and I, I think, you know, I've been reading a lot, and uh, I think it's really interesting, this idea of trying to get people to the point where they will say they're ready for change. I've been reading, there's a methodology called uh, motivational interviewing, and I've mentioned it, I think, in some recent podcast episodes, um, that, that's a, a method born out of uh, treating people with addictions. And what you were describing, James, sounds very familiar, where somebody will have all the knowledge about why they should stop smoking, for example. And they'll even say, yeah, I should stop smoking. <laughs> but then they also, on the other side of the brain, talk themselves out of quitting or they talk about, well, it, it helps me relax or it gives me a chance to get outside or it's a social. Like, and so they're, they're ambivalent um, toward that change. And, and I think you know, one of the lessons from motivational interviewing is that you can't make people change. You have to engage with them and get them talking and articulating about why they should change so that those reasons to change outweigh the, the reasons mm -hmm. for not changing. And I, th I think that applies really well in the workplace or even in, you know, the scenario in the Lakeview version of the experience change situation. How do you get people interested in taking action through lean and other methods to improve patient flow in their hospital? You know, the people in that simulation uh, have, have a similar sense of ambivalence or resistance that people have to work through in the simulation, right? Yeah, so it, Lakeview is a great, it's a great case. It's, it's one of our favorites. And, um, you know, it, it was built, it was designed in the, in the late 90s. It was in, um, built in partnership with the, the University of Toronto, the Rotman School. And importantly, um, uh, one of the key collaborators was a physician, a physician leader named Don, uh, Dante Mora. Mm -hmm. And he, he headed up the, what was it, the, the Center for Innovation and Complex Care, I think, at, at, um, at the Toronto General Hospital. And he had been through a lean implementation before. And so when healthcare practitioners uh, play this simulation, and, and I know you've, you've heard this before, it's like, is this our hospital? Like it, feels, <laughs> it feels so real. Mm -hmm. and even though there are some stereotypes there a little bit, um, there, uh, you know, he, he did a great job of capturing the real dynamics within a hospital. It's a, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, there, there's, a, I think, a representative, accurate cross-section of the different viewpoints and reactions that you'll have out there. And people, I think that's just not reacting to lean. It could be the way people react to any other large change. Like we're going to Absolutely. implement an EMR system. We're going to merge with another healthcare organization. We're going to build a new tower. And yeah, it's not always, uh, you know, I think you know, the point of the simulation is not to learn that the chief of medicine always has this view, but yes, it's likely a... that they might have a certain view and that might come in conflict with, um, some of the medical leaders in uh, departments below them and, you know, trying to kind of understand that and navigate that, I think, is one of the, one of the things that's interesting to practice in the workshop. Yes, it's, and, and it's fascinating, the, um, uh, <clears throat> my experience, at least with, with running this in healthcare settings, is that um, physician leaders have a tough time. And I'll say that with hushed tones. Mm -hmm. um, because they're, and, and I think you, you, we, we know this, like physicians are used to, used to giving orders, right? Mm -hmm. and, and this requires a different kind of collaborative mindset. Not to say that they don't collaborate. And a lot of, a, a lot of folk, I mean, I, I think this generation of physicians is maybe different than the previous generation, but they're, it, 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 it conflicts sometimes with some of the natural systems and ways of looking at things within a hospital. And, and so it's, it's a lot of fun to facilitate and because people have these transformational moments. Yeah. 
and, and I think that's a great outcome from uh, you know uh, adult learning models, um, <clears throat> the learn by doing model of, of not just being uh, talked at about change management or uh, not just having table discussions. That I mean, I think being able to to roll up your sleeves uh, or even just virtual sleeves <laughs> to interact <laughs> with the simulation and and with each other. Um, it, I, it's just, it's such a, a good way of learning. Um, and it's, it's fun to see how people respond to that. But um, yeah. and maybe, you know, one other question, I mean, you know, you talked a little bit about how the model was developed and, you know, it's, it's, it's very realistic. But I think, you know, sometimes when, when people are executing their strategy that they've selected in, in the workshop, you know, people uh, will say, well, yeah, the scenario is realistic, but, you know, oh, I'm following a, an approach that I know has worked before. And, you know, how do you just kind of describe to people if, if they're questioning, like, well, a simulation is only as valid as the programming behind it? Or, like, you know, if, if someone was really being skeptical about <laughs> this, what, what, what do you say to them about, yeah, this is maybe not exactly what every organization goes through, but it's good enough for learning, or maybe I'm not saying that. You, you probably have a better way of saying that, or how, how would you address a question well, like that? It's a good it's a good response, and I'm sort of thinking through, like, our goal in designing these things is not high fidelity. We're not trying to perfectly simulate their situation. And, and in fact, and we've learned this the hard way, when people play their own world, um, they seem to be distracted by what is different instead of what is the same or important or otherwise, you know, uh, relevant. And, and so it, 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 the folks that have a hard time getting themselves out of their world are the ones that will sometimes be a bit abrasive about the experience. And so we, we do like them to, you know, this is Lakeview. Lakeview isn't, isn't your organization. It's a different organization. Mm -hmm. And we do that right in the setup at the beginning. And so think through as you talk to these different folks, your, your chief of staff is going to be different than your chief of staff. And so mm -hmm. consider what, what this chief of staff, they have to say. And, um, but fundamentally, under, under the surface is a methodology, a, a change model, a framework that um, yeah, there are lots of frameworks, change frameworks at the market. And we've, we've talked about this in the past. Mm -hmm. you know, our, our point of view is that 99% of them are the same, different labels and things here and there. But the, the, the challenge is not to, to select a framework. The challenge is to use a framework, and that's what we're teaching folks: is is to, when you're thinking about solving problems, um, we often bring decision-making frameworks. Lean is a great one, mm -hmm. into the process to come up with better solutions. We've also got to bring in people frameworks to think about adoption of those new solutions, and so let's let's bring those two in tandem, lean and and change together to come up with a better, not not just a better solution, but a solution that's full realized in the organization and so yeah so what I, I sometimes will say is chill yeah <laughs> and, yeah. and in a very nice way though and, and it's right. like our, our goal here is to create a great conversation the fact that we've talked about this tactic or whatever the issue might be is fantastic we have different points of view but it doesn't matter who is right because your context might be different let's just surface that up yeah well and that's an interesting point you make uh, about uh, people trying to do some sort of simulation that hits too close to home. Because I've seen this even with non-computer-based uh, tabletop simulations, if mm -hmm. you will. Mm -hmm. And I, I think back to, oh, this was like 2008. I was doing some work with a, a hospital in England, part of the, uh, the NHS. And mm -hmm. they had a big internal uh, 
lean advocacy education group within the NHS, and they had developed this um, simulation of what they would call an A&E department, and, you know, it was meant to teach lean and practice lean concepts, and they said everyone would just get really sidetracked on how the simulation wasn't realistic, and so they said, well, let's step back, and they started teaching lean by making paper airplanes, because it's just, it forced people to be a little bit more conceptual about yes. things, and certainly a hospital is not like making airplanes, but um, yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's a good, good way to learn. We did a, a sim a number of years ago, maybe 15 years ago, for an aerospace company, and it was around the implementation of, of SAP, an ERP system. Mm -hmm. And instead of their business, it was, um, you know, it was a flying car business. You know, something mm -hmm. kind of bit <laughs> fantastical, but all of the decisions that they made were the real life decisions they would make every day. And so the context, we just twisted it a little bit, and that allowed people to chill out and focus on what was really important. Mm -hmm. Well, um, James, I want to thank you for you know being a guest and, and for sharing oh. a little bit about your background and, and your thoughts and what you're doing at Experience Point. Um, what would you recommend if people would like to contact you or learn more in terms of uh, websites, social media? What, what can you share with folks? Yeah, thank, thanks, Mark. Um, to head experiencepoint.com is our, our website, and um, you know I. I I think the the amount of work that you're doing in the Lakeview area, I would say go and chat with Mark about Lakeview and, and the change simulations. Um, you're you're uh, you're kind of moving into that level of mastery with those, which is amazing. Um, and then around the innovation stuff, yeah, please do reach out to us. We'd be happy to to share, you know, and, and answer any questions that you might have. Okay, well, thanks, and yeah, um, thanks thanks for your kind words as I've. Um, Gotten to be able to sort of uh, to facilitate the uh, the workshop. Um, I would invite people to reach out uh, to me through markgraven.com or, or social media. I would love to talk to people about that. But James, thank you for yeah. well, thanks, Mark. thank you and Experience Point for uh, making that available as, as a tool that that I can use and others can use and learn from. So uh, it was great talking to you today, and thanks great. again for all of your work. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you, Mark. Take care. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.